Disclaimer. The 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition series is about real ongoing homicide investigations. The following conversation may be disturbing to some people and is not recommended for all ages. Please take a moment and decide if you would like to continue listening or watching. Viewer discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to 24 Shades of Blue Cold Case Edition. My name's Andy O'Brien. I'll be your host for the series. Today's cold case episode is about 21-year-old Patrick Santos. Today I'm sitting here with Stephen Smith, head of Toronto Homicide Division. How are you today, Stephen? Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I think one of the biggest things uh, for this case, I think we, we should just delve right into, is what, what were the last moments of Patrick's life? Yeah, I mean, it, w what a terrible case this is. I mean, 21-year-old Patrick, he... Uh, he was living at home with his parents. He was working out in uh, Mississauga. He was working as a, an auto mechanic. He'd went out that night. Uh, he usually goes out with his girlfriend, but his girlfriend went home earlier. He actually called her around 4.30 in the morning, said he was heading home from a club downtown. He arrived home at his parents' house in Scarborough, and unfortunately, someone appears to have been sitting in wait for him when he, when he, when he arrived. So you think it was an ambush? It wasn't some random attack you you think people were were there waiting for him yeah absolutely I, we we believe that he knew his uh attackers um unfortunately we don't know why that was why he was attacked i mean it could have been anything it could have been something innocuous it could have been something serious we really don't know why these people wanted to injure patrick at the time and explain to me how we because when we look at these photos here i see you know one side of the house has has the tree line and then the other side of the the home is a bit more tight to the house can you explain and kind of map out what this, what you believe the murder looked like yeah we believe that patrick arrived at home and obviously it was you know early in the morning so he he was looking to get to bed get himself some sleep he usually walked around through the uh, the pathway into the back of the house where he was residing. It appears as though someone had blocked that off. He may have thought it was his family. And our belief is that he went around the other side in order to get in through the back door again. Um, and we believe that the people were laying in wait over on the far side of the house for him uh, when he arrived. And so in terms of, you know, what actually took place, we know that the tape covered the mouth of Patrick and nose. Um, was that deliberate? Was was this an accident? What What's your take on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, these people were prepared. They were prepared to to do whatever they were going to do to Patrick. I mean, they zip tied him. They uh, they taped his mouth. Unfortunately, when they taped his mouth, they covered his mouth and his nose, um, and they gave him a good little a beating. Um, it doesn't appear, in our opinion, that they had meant to kill him at that time. Um, it appears as though they were going to give him a bit of a scare whatever that was over, a girl, money, we don't know. Um, and he was dumped on his parents' back porch, we believe, so that his parents found him in the morning still tied up and probably with a gag on his mouth. But unfortunately, the people had put the tape over his mouth and his nose, and poor Patrick suffocated to death on his parents' back uh, back deck. It's just, just, just a tragic event. Yeah, because, you know, from my experience working with um, you know, different folks from the FBI, RCMP, even Toronto police as well. And yourself, I mean, when we look at murders, typically, uh, if someone is planning to murder somebody, 
it's very rare you would just see tape over a nose and mouth. You know, they would usually, you see strangulation, you see bullets, um, you see uh, beatings with blunt force objects or causing blunt force trauma. So explain to me, um, you know, a little bit more in depth in terms of, you know, what did the actual attack you think look like? Um, maybe painting a picture in terms of once Patrick got home, where do you think these people were and, and do we know how many and, and just... Unfortunately, we don't know all the answers to that. I wish we did. But there was obviously multiple people. I mean, Patrick was a fair-sized man. I mean, he, he was a stocky guy. I'm sure he could handle himself. How big was Patrick? Uh, he, I mean, he was a 5'8", but I mean, he was a stocky guy, over 200 pounds. Okay. Um, he was thick. He would have been able to, to defend himself. And he was grabbed and he was overpowered. So there, there must have been at least a few people. Um, because yeah. no noise, not enough noise was made to draw anyone's attention. I mean, and especially in Scarborough, if, if everyone's asleep, it's a residential area and you hear something going on outside at the very least, you're going to take a peek, if not dial nine one one, right? Cause you're going to think what's going on. Something's not right. If he's screaming, but they must've overpowered him right away, taped his mouth. So he couldn't scream or maybe they lured him. Maybe they were friends and said, Patrick, man, we're here. Come on over. We need to have a chat with you. Yeah. And then jumped them when they got into the tree line. We really don't know those details. Or, or the other thing that comes to mind too, is if someone, the, one of the ways that you, you see this and I, you know, uh, is people will have a weapon maybe to somebody to keep them quiet. Absolutely. So that could have been also an option. Yeah, that, that could have been, I mean, and that would lead to the fact that if they did have a gun or something and they didn't shoot him, that maybe they weren't looking to kill him at that point and it was a tragic mistake that they made. Yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, if, if you're going to abduct something, you want something out of that, right? You either want money or you want jewelry or you want something that they have um, that they, but it doesn't appear that that was the case. So it appears as though whatever the beef between these two parties was, it got out of hand. And unfortunately, Patrick suffocated and paid the price for this. It's just, it's just tragic event. And, you know, and I, I mean, it's, you think about the parents and the family, you know, the, the, the loss here, and we're talking 15 years ago, uh, almost, you know, to the month. And, um, one of the things that, uh, we look at, uh, ancestry testing and, and, and DNA, what was the evidence that was found on Patrick's body? Let's, let's talk about that a little bit more. So there was, there was unknown blood found on one of the, um, the ties, the zip ties. So we believe that, as you know, the zip ties can be sharp, right? That they've, they've got the sharp edges as you, you yank them tight. You can, if you don't hold them right, you can rip your hand or your fingers. And we yeah. believe that that's what happened. Whoever was pulling that zip tie cut himself and left a little bit of evidence on the zip tie. So we were able to, to create a DNA profile out of that male DNA profile. Unfortunately, we have no match on our national DNA data bank. Um, so we went ahead. Uh, there's a project at at CFS now called Biographic Ancestry Testing, okay. where we can send DNA in, and they can tell us basically the root population of of where the offender or or where the DNA profile is from. This was previous to that. It's it was a we used a company out of the U.S. It's called Phenotyping, but it's basically the same idea. Same okay. idea. It's just now we're doing it here at our uh, at the Ontario lab. Whereas at this point, we have to send it to the U.S. to be phenotyped. Um, so we sent that down there. We received our results and it came back as basically almost a 50-50 match between African um, heritage and European heritage. 
and they get into the haplogroups, which is a little scientific, but um, we have a mitochondrial haplogroup, which leads to the mother's side, which is of African descent. So we believe that the mother is of African descent and the father's of European descent of the offender. Okay. And, and, you know, um, without really having a match in the national database, it's really still a needle in a haystack almost. Yeah. I mean, whoever did this obviously hasn't been arrested on any sort of threshold offense or we would have his DNA or at least convicted of any sort of threshold yeah. offense. We In Canada, we only take DNA upon conviction of, of certain threshold offenses, but obviously they haven't committed a serious offense after this. So we haven't had the DNA uploaded. Is it still a possibility? Um, they were young people at the time. There is still the possibility that this person gets arrested and, and we find out through the data bank. We've gone yeah. through a number of uh, possible persons of interest and we've obtained DNA samples from them and we haven't had any, uh, any matches at all. So, yeah, and, I, and, you know, I think too, um, the other thing that kind of jumps out is in terms of fingerprints, with all the maneuvering around, uh, I'm wondering if there was there any fingerprints at all that. Unfortunately, the the zip ties um, don't really lend themselves to the fingerprints. The tape does a little bit better, but it appears as though they may have been wearing gloves at the time, or at mm -hmm. least some of them were wearing gloves. We didn't really get any fingerprints that helped us out, and I mean, being out in the in the outside doesn't help as well either, right? If you get dew in the evenings or yeah. whatever, it could destroy some of the, uh, the physical evidence. Yeah. And I, and, you know, because it was, you know, 15 years ago, um, you know, what, what were, is there, is there any updated information from the viewers, uh, or listeners, uh, over the years? Like we said, we still, we're still following up on the people that knew Patrick at the time. Um, we're still following up on tips that we've been receiving at persons of interest. We're hoping to maybe go forward. Uh, we have to, look into a few other things that we're doing right now to see if this case would be possible for uh, genetic genealogy testing. And that way we could work backwards in order to pinpoint who our offender is. I mean, and you know, you guys have so many other cold cases as well. So it's really trying to lend your time equally, you know, and, and put your time where, where you can. Um, I think the big question here uh, is who is this murderer? What are they doing today? Are they living a completely different life than they were back then? What's the possibilities? I guess it's endless. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's one. Are of they the, alive? Well, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, people that are involved in this sort of activity sometimes lend themselves to dangerous lifestyles. I mean, we've seen that in a number of our cases where we've identified the offender years later and he's been deceased because of the lifestyle that, that they've led. In this case, it seems like their group of friends was we're hardworking people. So this person could have a completely different life now. And that that's one of the things that we rely on in cold cases that the two things that we really rely on are changes in science, such yeah. as a genetic genealogy and changes in relationships. People that have moved on there, who knows how many people were there that night? Was it one? Was it two? Was it 10? Was it 20? Yeah. But there's people that know who was involved in this. And there may be people that were bit players or there may be people that, that have set this up that weren't actually there that night. But we know there's people that know who killed Patrick that night. And even if it was an accident, they still, they still have to, to stand trial for, their, for what they did that evening. And we're, we're just looking at those people. If they, they may live a different life, they may not live in this area anymore. They may not live with the people that they, they hung out with at the time. So we're just looking for that, that information. Is it possible the murder suspect could be living a com 
completely different life today than they were back then? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the that's one of the things that we need in cold cases that help us to solve these cases is we have changes in science, changes in lifestyle, changes in relationships. Uh, people, they were all young kids at the time. We believe that probably the offenders were in and around the same age as Patrick. So they could be married with kids, working a straight day job. Um, they could be doing almost anything, right? Yeah. Who knows? They could have went back to school. They could have went to university after this. We don't know. So there's there's a bunch of people that we believe know about this murder. We just need that name. We need someone to call us with the name of the, the people that were there and actually inflicted this uh, terrible event on Patrick. And let's just talk a little bit about the surrounding area because this is, is very peculiar to me um, for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, when you have other homes in the area, and this happens at 4.30 as we, as we already discussed, you know, this is something that would cause someone to peek through a blind. It would cause a dog to bark. How many houses are around? Because I can't, you can see here on this photo, it looks like a residential neighborhood. Yeah. So how many houses and how far apart are these houses from, I mean, the, from the crime scene? It's like any old uh, neighborhood in Scarborough. I mean, you've got, you know maybe 20, 30 feet between the houses. The difference yeah. here is that uh, the Santos lot was, it was a little bit bigger over to the uh, the one side where they had actually lured Pat Patrick. So they, they would have had a little bit of cover. They had yeah. some trees. They had a little bit of cover over there. So, but I mean, still, I you know, at night, any noise out of the ordinary wakes most people up, right? Yeah. So we're not really sure how they kept Patrick quiet, but I mean, like you said, they could have had a firearm. They could have pointed it at him. They could have just tackled him to the ground. We don't really know that, but somehow they kept this very quiet. And and I think one hundred percent, you would have had you would have had to because that would have definitely um, raised some suspicions with neighbors. The thing that I find particularly interesting here. Um, because when I was speaking with the FBI about another case in the United States, there's something that uh, reminded me about that here and that the gate that he went through typically to come home late at night was blocked. Yep. So the only persons or persons that would know to block that entrance is someone that knew him. Yeah, absolutely. So what's unless the family randomly blocked it because they were maybe upset at him and didn't want him returning that night. That would be the only reason I, I could think of it. Um, there has to be somebody, what's your thoughts on somebody knowing him? It just seems baffling. Why? How would anyone know to do that? Absolutely. I mean, in my mind, I 100% think that this was personal, that whatever happened between him and this group, it was 100% personal. They knew each other. This group would have known Patrick. Everybody that was involved in this would have known Patrick. So I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think, you know, it, just in how it was done, it, it does sound like uh, it was not organized crime, for one. I, I think we can, what, what gives you reason to believe it wasn't organized? If you were, were going to do a hit, like I said, if you're abducting someone, it's for a reason, right? You want something from them. In this one, it looks like they were just trying to give them a scare. Whatever the reason was that they wanted to give him a scare, maybe yeah. a little bit of a beating, uh, tape him up, embarrass him a little bit in front of his family. That's what it seems seems like. And they made an error and they cut off all his air where he suffocated to death. Uh, organized crime. I mean, 
I can't say a hundred percent, but that would more be like, they would, they would drive up and they, they would just shoot you. Right. They, they, they don't want to play around with, they're not going to wrestle with you. They're not going to take the chance of someone seeing or someone driving or DNA, by getting DNA, cut. someone walking out of the house. Like there's way too many variables there for someone that's a professional. Um, that's a professional killer. Yeah. It would have been done short and sweet, less evidence, as that's right. little evidence as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, in terms of the investigation, how wide was the investigation? Did we focus in on those closest to him, including family, including friends, including potential individuals at the club that night? Tell me a little bit about the, the investigation span. Yeah, the, the two original investigators are both good friends of mine, and they did an amazing job. The, the work that they did, they worked on this basically up until their retirement. And well, the, the ones retired, the others moved on. Um, but until his retirement, and I believe it was uh, 2018 or 2019, he was still working on this case himself, even though he had moved on, he'd been promoted and moved on to other jobs. He was yeah. still working this case. They went over and above. They did everything that they possibly could. They looked at everyone and everything. We know we're, that we're probably in the right group. It's just, unfortunately, there's so many people that are related to this, this group that it's, uh, it's tough to narrow down. So the big hope here, I think, you know, when we do these, these cold case shows is to hopefully um, remind people that there is, uh, there is a lack of closure here for the family. And knowing uh, who is involved with this is you're really hurting the, the family and it's just, it's important that if anyone does have any information about this case, that is what's going to really unlock this case for you guys more than likely, unless someone gets arrested and that DNA matches when you guys do another scan, it's going to be someone coming forward. Absolutely. I mean, I speak with Patrick's family all the time and his mother is absolutely devastated from what happened. And if we're right and the people know Patrick, they may have known his family as well. And they, they, they would have to understand what his family's been going through since this. It, it's, it's horrific. And all we need, we, we aren't looking for witnesses. We're just looking for the name of the per- people that were involved in this. And we'll do the rest. We'll do the investigation. Call Crime Stoppers. Write an anonymous letter. Call my line. I, I don't need to know who you are. I don't need you to identify yourself. I just need to know the name of the people that were involved. We just need a name. Absolutely. To... to to be able to bring this case to to justice, because frankly, um, this is a 21 year old. I want to talk a little bit about Patrick. Let's talk a little bit about you know a 21 year old kid who really had just started his life, and um, you know it, to just have somebody taken off this earth for no reason, whether it was uh, malicious intent, deliberate, premeditated, or it was like you say, maybe it was just an accident. Um, I think. You know, looking at what what transpired here, I think, you know, there has to be some level of conscience that should uh, that people should uh, should take into consideration. You have to, you know, should be people should be coming forward if they have any information um, regarding this. And like you say, you don't want their name. This isn't something where we want to try and uh, you know put a spotlight around the individual that gives you uh, the names. It's just really to bring closure to the family. Um, what kind of conversations do you have with the family? What, with his mom, Juliet, I, we just, we just talk, we just talk. Sometimes she, she just feels like reaching out, uh, talking a bit about Patrick, talking a bit about the case. Uh, I keep her updated on anything new that we have. Um, but in general, we, we just talk. It's just, uh, 
just, just conversation, just, uh, you know, on special occasions, we send each other emails, that sort of thing. We just, we just keep in touch. Um, she's obviously interested in, in finding out who did this. And, uh, I'm interested in keeping her up to date on everything that's going on. So I, there's a lot of people, I mean, obviously we have over 700 cases and there's a lot of the victims families that we keep in touch with all the time. Some families want to be in touch with us all the time. Others, they don't really want to hear from us. Some are more than happy if we do a media blitz, they're more than happy to come and and speak. Others want nothing to do with it. So, And I I think there's also something that we should probably cover here a little bit is in terms, do we have a getaway car? Do we have any information on a vehicle or anybody seeing any of these individuals? Because more than likely, as we talked about, if he's, you know, 200 plus pounds, you know, uh, typically there's going to be a few people there. There was no, no one saw anybody, any car, any tire tracks, any peel and rubber trying to get out of there. Nothing. You know what the tough thing is, is no, we had nobody come forward that saw anything out of line that night. So it's very strange now. I mean, that could be for a multitude of reasons. It's just, it's unfortunate. Nowadays, we would have had probably at least one camera on a house in the area, right? We would have been able to pick up cars coming and going and, and that sort of thing. Unfortunately, at the time, we didn't have any of that. And we had nobody come forward that said that they saw anything uh, out of the ordinary that evening. Yeah. And that is, it's so peculiar and it makes you, it makes you really think how they were able to get in there completely unidentified. And I think, I think one of the big things that probably attributes that is, is the time. Absolutely. It was 4.30 in the morning. Yep. You know, yep. people are, are really in a deep sleep at that point. They're really not expecting. Because if you hear a noise around two, two thirty, you know that kind of thing. Um, it's just four thirty. That is a, a really deep hour in the night. Um, did that play a role, probably, in that people were absolutely? I mean, yeah. as you know, if it, if it was at a time when people were out walking around the streets, or even coming home from work, or or even coming home from wherever, that it it was extremely late. I mean, four thirty, five thirty in the morning. Unless you're getting up for work at that time, nobody's out. Nobody, nobody's listening. Like you said, everyone's trying to get their last few hours of sleep before they have to get up and do whatever they do for the day. So, and I guess, I guess the other thing that jumps out at me here is, was there any defensive wounds on the victim's body? Not really. Not really. I mean, there was the wounds, but that was from the, the, uh, the zip ties. So it, it had cut into his, his skin because they were zip tied so tight and stuff, but there wasn't anything to say, you know, that he had been attacked and he was defending himself from a weapon, nothing like that. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing I, I, I think that obviously it's speculation to say that it was accidental, but typically somebody that knows they're going to die when you see, you know, I, as I mentioned, I been, you know, receiving letters from Gary Ridgeway, yep. uh, you know, uh, and a lot of the stories around even those, you know, 49 murders he he's been convicted of. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's evidence that those individuals knew they were dying. And that is a, it is a last fight situation. So typically if from, if someone's knows they're going to die, yep. they're scratching, they're punching, they're biting, they're doing absolutely anything they can. Their clothes are dirty from being outside on the ground, from mm-hmm. moving around and being restrained. Is there any sign at all or anything at all that that, that took place? Well, I mean, there was marks to his body and stuff, but we attribute that to probably a beating that he took while he was, while he was tied up. Yeah. Um, 
again, we believe that Patrick knew these people and may have even trusted them, right? I mean, he, he may have thought, okay, I have a beef, you know, okay, this is going badly. I may take a bit of a beating. I, I'm sure in no way did he think that he was dying that night. And I'm not even sure that the, the offenders believed they were going to kill him that night. So it's, it's a horrific murder and it just, it's tragic events that led to it. Yeah. And, you know, I think something else that, um, that kind of jumps out here um, to me that I think we should touch on is we, we did sat, we did sit down um, with Patrick's biological mother. Um, she prepared a statement for us to read. Um, and this is what, what she has to, to say. I am Juliet, the biological mother of Patrick J. Santos, who was murdered on September 17, 2006. I remember my mother used to say to me, no matter what happens in your life, please keep your children with you. Love and cherish them to the best of your ability because they are the ones who will always love and help you in return. I love my children. I work extremely hard to take care of them. I took care and loved Patrick from being pregnant until adulthood. He was brought up as a Christian. Patrick is a God's servant and someone just took his life away. I deserve an answer. Patrick is a decent person and whoever did this horrific act to my Patrick owes my son my son's life and also owes my life. To Patrick's murderers, I want you to know that if you are reading or listening to my statement, the homicide detectives and the forensic teams, the other organizations are working very hard to trace you wherever you are. The homicide and forensic teams have your DNA and it is just a matter of time. You will get caught. You cannot run and you cannot hide. Your mother would know how I feel. Whenever she sees you and hugs you, may you be reminded of me and Patrick. While you watch your children, grandchildren, you will see Patrick and be reminded of what you did to my son. You are a coward. Patrick was also suffering from his stab wounds, suffocating and gasping for his last breath. You will remember this while you're about to sleep at night. You are now living in your purgatory for what you did to my Patrick. You will never find peace and rest. You need to surrender yourself and you must ask for forgiveness. You will have to face earthly justice and ask pardon for what you did to my son. You may not be religious, but ask yourself why you were born in this world and enjoying your life today. Your time will come and the minute you are gasping your last breath in this world, you will see all the bad things you did, especially the killing of my beloved Patrick. That's when you will suffer God's judgment and justice in the eternal flames of hell. Unless you ask for forgiveness and seek penance now on earth, while you are still alive and have the chance here on earth. So we can obviously tell from Patrick's mother's statement there that there's obviously a lot of hurt, which is imagined. She also mentions the stab wounds, which I wanted to kind of touch on briefly there. Was there any stab wounds or was it yeah, the, they were they were superficial. So it wasn't it wasn't as if they stabbed him in order to kill him. It was more like they were sticking him with a knife as more of a, a torture. Okay. They weren't in any type they, of They weren't anything to... that was going to be fatal to him. It was it was again more, you know, torture that was going on as he was uh, restrained. It's hard to hear this, you know. Yeah. 
It's, uh, and I know that obviously you guys are working around the clock and on all the cold case files. And I give you so much credit and respect for, for doing your best. And I know that, uh, you know, if there, if there is a possible way to find this individual and bring them to justice, uh, you will. And, uh, I think the other thing in closing, uh, I think let's, let's just touch on, on what, what you need from the general public to, to, to bring closure to the Santos family and bring this murder to justice. Yeah. I mean, we've all been 21. I mean, you, you do things that you wouldn't do now. Um, and you may regret some of the things that you were involved in. You may have been trying to forget them, but you're never going to truly forget an event like this, whether you played any part in this, setting them up, talking to them, being there that night, actually doing the restraining and the torture. We need someone, we know that someone knows, and we just need someone to provide us with the, the names of at least one of the people that were there that night. We'll do the rest. We don't need anything further. We just need the names of anybody that was there that night, as many people as we could possibly get, but we'll take one name and we'll work off of that. Whatever we can get, we will, we will formulate the evidence to bring this person to justice. We just need a name. Thanks, Steve. And, you know, any of our, of our viewers... Uh, are listening, please call Crime Stoppers. Please call Toronto Homicide. If you feel the need to even leave a name with Obi and Axe Inc., you are more than welcome to do that too. The main goal of this show is to, we work with the Homicide uh, Division in Toronto and we are looking to help bring closure to these families and solve these cold case files. Thanks for joining us on 24 Shades of Blue, Cold Case Edition. I'm your host, Andy. Thanks for being with us, Steve. Thank you.